as you find your seats and know that you can continue those conversations afterwards, open your Bibles or read along with me. The text is um, John 14, 1 through 7. I'm reading from the New International Version. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Fired up this morning. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome, everyone. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to be with you here this uh, second to last Sunday of the I Am Enough series, studying on the life of Christ and the words of Jesus. Uh, I'm going to gather my thoughts and pray. Um, I know for many of us, we woke up this morning to the news that Christians in Egypt had been killed gathering to worship Jesus. Um, I, dozens uh, on Palm Sunday, uh, numerous churches around Egypt, and we're mindful again that even the act of gathered worship is a privilege, and we are so fortunate uh, to be able to do this. And I know for a lot of us, there's a safety in the U.S. that we just forget that what's going on around the world uh, in outright persecution. Today, we get some teaching from Christ to remind us in every persecution that we are to be living as untroubled-hearted people, uh, as hard as that is to believe. Um, let's pray and we'll begin. Father, thank you so much for the words of your scripture to enliven and embolden and challenge and confront us. We pray now, Lord, that we would be people under your authority, you would open us up, and the words of Scripture would teach and challenge and empower us. Lord, we want to be people of the untroubled heart, people of the way, people of the truth, people of the light. Lord, we want, to, we want you to do that work in us and through us, Lord. In your great name we pray. Amen. Uh, your message today is uh, called, I Am the Way and the Truth and the Life, as we preach through John 14, verses 1, all the way really through verse 14. If you have your Bibles, you should open them up. We're going to look at all 14 verses. Um, to start with, um, I, I want us to, to think about this notion that Jesus came to challenge and confront us. When he says these words, I am the way and the truth and the life, it is a, it's a confrontation. And several years ago at Easter, I told this story, but I'll tell it again. Some of us weren't there. We just need reminding. There's a wonderful story of Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini, phenomenal book, Unbroken About a Spirit. The movie, eh, not great, uh, but the book, wonderful. Shot down over the Pacific during the Second World War. Uh, in a life raft, several men drifted west and, and then uh, survived. Longest survival at sea. Was taken custody into a, a prison camp, Japanese internment camp, and, and brutally assaulted. And, and he lived. And he came back to the U.S. He was a survivor. He had life, but he didn't have truth. And he didn't have real life. And he was dying inside. His wife invited him to hear the evangelist, a young man from the South, a young man named Billy Graham, who came to Los Angeles to preach these words, I am the way and the truth and the life. And Zamperini, the survivor, this I can beat anything, he left the room. 
because he was not interested in the words of Jesus. He was addicted to alcohol. He was addicted to the praise of men. And he was lonely and he was empty. And the word of God worked on him and the spirit worked on him. And though he couldn't believe it, he showed up the very next night in Billy Grand's crusade tent. And once again sat under the scriptures and once again heard Graham challenge him. Although this time, instead of leaving the tent, he streamed down to the altar and he said, I want a new life. I want Jesus inside of me. I've done more than any human ever has to survival and it's not life. I have a troubled heart. And Zamperini would say this as the words of Graham were preached. Zamperini says, of all my near-death experiences, my life never passed before my eyes. But when Billy Graham quoted scripture, my life did pass before my eyes. My life passed before my eyes, and I saw an ugly life. Yes, I had a lot of great times, a lot of great experiences, a lot of escapes from death, but I still didn't like my life after the war. It was terrible. And Louis Zamperini became a Jesus follower because the way and the truth and the life was more than just survival. It was more than alcohol. It was more than fame. It was more than riches. It was life to him. And the rest of his life, he was an evangelist telling other people about his great resurrection story that he was dead and because of Christ, he was alive. Now, the words of Jesus are confronting to us. As we take a look now as the scriptures, Jesus says these words in John 14, the very first verse, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, what's happening in the room? This is the upper room dialogue in the book of John, the last big sermon. Uh, Judas has already left the room. Peter has already been told that he's going to betray him. Jesus has washed the feet of the disciples. They all know they're on the precipice of life changing. Just five days before, it was Palm Sunday, and everyone said, the king is here, Hosanna. And then the whole week, things weren't going as planned. And yet Jesus has the audacity in that room to say, do not let your hearts be troubled. He confronts them. He confronts their anxiety He confronts their propensity for power. He confronts their need to have a a plan laid out for their life. He confronts it all with his truth. And the words of scripture are always meant to be confronting us. For the disciples in the room, they were asking for a map and Jesus preaches his presence. They want a clarity of direction and he gives them a certainty of his character. You want a way, says Jesus, I am the way. You want the truth, I am the truth. And if you want life, I am the life. Everything you need, says Jesus, I am enough. And in a world desperately pressing in on us, it will be our faith in Christ as enough to counter our prevailing tendencies to stress and anxiety and disengagement and worry. I mean, literally right now, warships are are heading west to outside Korea and east outside Syria. And and Christians are dying trying to worship God. And in the middle of that, Christ is saying, it will not be your worry to define your faith. It will be your untroubled heart that believes that I can still be your way and your truth in your life that marks the Christ follower. And so our big idea this morning, and I'm a little fired up. I'm sorry, but I'm just pumped be with you this morning. The big idea is this, that the way and the truth in life, it's not an idea or a religion or a precept or a set of well-ordered ideas. The truth is a person by the name of Jesus. 
And it's meant to confront our inclination to try and do life on our own power. Because we think we can do it on our own. Am I alone in that or am I the only one that can read these scriptures but it's still about me? About me getting up early or staying up late. Me, me saving for the future or trying to, to think about college. Me trying to be the architect of this good life. And Jesus says, it's rubbish. I will be your way and your truth in the life if you follow me. So let's begin here, the first point of our outline, where Jesus says, I am the way. And I want to look at the first four verses of John 14. I hope you brought your Bible. We're going to use them this morning. John 14, verses 1 through 4. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And an astute reader kind of pauses there. He's talking to his best friends. He's in the room, and he's now drawn a delineation between believing in God but missing Christ. We can become religious and miss Christ. We can believe in God and miss Jesus. And Jesus warns his friends here that an untroubled heart means you're believing in Christ. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now in the Old Testament, the Torah was known as the way and the truth and the life. And the only way to please God before the crucifixion was of fulfilling the law. And how we fulfill the law is we, we follow the way. Psalm 119. Blessed are you when your way is perfect. And so way was a way of describing the, the, the kind of faith we have. The early church was called the way. The Old Testament, teach your children to walk in the way. It was the rules of the faith. And so when Jesus says here that I am the way, he's blowing their minds a little bit. Because they've known the scriptures. They've known the rules. They've known the precepts. They've known the the well-ordered, organized traditions. And Jesus says, it's got to start with me first. Because you can know the scriptures and miss me, says Jesus. That I am in my very body, says Jesus, I am the way. Now, Peter, at the end of 13, Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you? I'll lay down my life. I'll do anything. Just show me the way. Just just explain how it's going to go. Can you just explain how it's going to go? If you can give me the plan, then I'll follow you. Do you know the difference between a path, and the plan, it's the person of Jesus Christ. And for many of us, we get disoriented and surprised when the plan of our life doesn't go as we expected. But Jesus never promised a plan. He promised a path, a way, a, a, a continual road to walk. That in the each and the every day, we don't, we don't get the plan But each and every day we say, Jesus, I want to walk your path. I want to be your person. I want to be full of your faith. I want to have your life inside me. This morning, Jesus, make me more like you. I'm going to walk the path even though I don't know the plan. Because I have the person of Jesus Christ. Now, it sounds nebulous. It sounds spiritual. But Jesus says it's got to be more about Jesus and less of yourself. I am, says Jesus, the path towards your future. I am the path towards your future. 
And he gets into this future talk with his, with his discussion of dwelling places here. And this how, you know, the house with many rooms in verse 2 and verse 3 of chapter 14. Now for sure it's a, it's a view of eschatology. The, the end times. He's saying like when the end times you'll be face to face with me. But it's also encouraging them to live in their presence in such a way that they're enjoying life together. That the way they live is both a future promise in the present tense. And that was a hearkening back to the last sermon series we did. Now, it's interesting, right? Verse 2, verse 3. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Jesus says there's many rooms. There's many rooms. We should have this hope of radical hospitality to our faith. That Jesus is saying, I know your tendency is to worry about how you're going to get there. I know your tendency to try to orchestrate life on your own. You won't know the plan, but you can know the path. And I will take care of you. I will be with you, and I will be for you, and I will be waiting for you at the end of days. So our heart breaks with Egyptian Christians this morning. It breaks. And for those they left behind. And for the fear that they must have felt in those last moments. But let us not forget, they will be greeted this day in heaven by a father that has set the table for them and a son who has many rooms waiting and he's waiting for them, and he's waiting for us. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. The dwelling place has many rooms. So don't be troubled, says Jesus. Super interesting, this verse 1, that the untroubled heart seems to delineate those that are actually believing in Christ. That for Christ followers, we can believe in God, and we can miss, we can miss Jesus himself. And the call then for our faith is to be growing in our untroubledness. In our, in, our, in our faithness, in our belief that's moving us to be less fearful people, untroubled people. It's incredibly difficult. Easy to say, right? It's easy to say. But if we're actually marked with hope and peace and being Jesus is the way people, then we will have more peace. So when we're, we're in tendencies, when we're in places where there's more worry than hope, and less joy and more anxiety, we have to ask those hard questions of ourselves. Where's my, where's my way? Where's my way? In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 22, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, when he died for us on the cross on Good Friday... And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so when our life and our faith is defined by worry and stress and anger, it's characteristics outside of the fruit of spirit. We need to ask those hard questions. Why is my heart so troubled? We want a plan, and Jesus says, I'm going to give you a path. I'm going to give you my spirit inside of you. But it's so difficult for all of us, right? It's so difficult to trust what we can't see instead of what we can see. So what do we see? We see warships moving into different places around the globe. We see violence. We see anxiety. We see troubled relationships. Jesus said, no, no, I want you to see me beyond even that which you can see with your eyes. I want you to grow in faith. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone do like trust falls. You've seen a trust fall before? Or building trust? I mean, it's easy to say you trust someone, but do you actually trust someone? 
Let's find out. Let's, let's do a little surprise, surprise somebody to say, Cynthia, do you trust me? Now, you didn't know this was going to happen because it wouldn't be trust if you're like, oh, no, this is totally canned. It's not. She hates me. I'm so sorry. I'm going to give you a hug. Thank you. I know it's so hard for all of us, but come here. I want to do something with you, okay? So um, I'm going to back you over. No, I'm not. I'm not going to back you over there. But I'm going to be right here, okay? And I'm just like, I want you to put your arms across your shoulders, and I just want you to, you can feel me. I'm right here. Can you trust me? Can you just fall back? One, two, three. Okay. So she doesn't trust her pastor. We've got some work to do there. No, no, I'm just, I'm so thankful you're doing this. So on the count of three, this is hard, but I'm going to be right here. You've got to trust me, okay? Come on back. One, two, three. Okay. You did it. Now, it's a little bit harder if you can't see, right? So I'm going to do this. Your hair looks great today, by the way. I'm going to put these, can we take your glasses off? Okay, we didn't organize this, obviously. We're going to put that over your eyes. Okay, we're going to blindfold you. I'm sorry again for this, but okay. And we count to three. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you fall back, all right? One, two, three. Oh, I was excited. Okay. Now, you did great. She did great, right? Should we give a round of applause? But we're not done with you because it's hard to trust when you can't see. So as I am asking Cynthia to trust me, it gets harder. Sitting up there, let's not be surprised. Cynthia, thank you. You are awesome. Um, I try not to do that too often to people, but it's easy, right, to be like, oh, well, she totally, they set it up, A, we didn't set it up, B, like, it's easy. It's not. It's not easy to trust what you can't see. Like, we're all geared to trust what's closest to us. I learned this. We were doing trust falls this week. We were out at nursery out in Snohomish, and, and my kids were like passing time. They start trust falling on each other. I've got 13, 11, 7, 4. The four-year-old, like, trust fall. One, two, three, boom. He, and I'm like, he trusts every time. So then I started to play with it, and I would like stand back and kind of jump in. His mother wasn't around. Don't worry. She wouldn't know. But like, I never dropped him. But the bigger kids are like, they want to check with their eyes or check with their hands. Or, and if I would step back a little bit, they would, you know, give themselves a kickstand, but not the littlest guy. The littlest guy, every time, I'd say, go ahead and fall, one, two, three, and he'd boop, he'd just pop back. <laughs> and I was thinking about that, preparing this message. And though we're far from perfect in how we raise him, we say sorry all the time, and I say this sorry all the time for failing my kids. But this little guy knows he can trust me. He knows that his needs will be met. He knows every single day that someone will put food in front of him and that there will be a place for him to sleep. And because of that, when I say, go ahead and fall back and I'll catch you, he has no reason not to trust me. Friends, we are meant to be growing in this appreciation for Christ as the path for our life. And not not the plan that always goes exactly as we can see, but the path. That each and every day that we're called, though the blindfold is on, though the voice may be far, though it may feel like we're falling, Christ is calling, trust me. And know that I am the way for you. And I'm the way for you in your relationships. And in your financial stewardship. And in your holiness. And in your struggles. In all the places you've been, Jesus says, 
I will be your way. Will you trust me? And then he transitions here throughout the text to say, I'm also the truth. I am the truth. The second point of our outline, look at verse 5 through 9. I am the truth. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. There'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The truth is, says Jesus, to his very best friends, he keeps answering their questions with stories of his own truthfulness. I don't know if you saw Time Magazine recently, the big question, is truth dead? It's always been hard to believe in truth, and particularly right now. We don't, you know, different telecasts and different newspapers and different media sources, and more than any time in the, in the last hundred years, we don't know what the truth is. Jesus says, I am the truth. And then his best friends, here's Philip, verse 8, if you can show us the way and the plan, then we'll trust you. And Jesus says it, I will be your truth. I will be your filter. I will be the one that can be truth when everything else seems distant. I am the truth. And it seems too simple for us at a level. We want to unpack it more. And Jesus gets ultra simple here. When you see me, says Jesus, you see the truth. You see God. And so as his people, we need to be seeing him more. The question's raised in this part of the text, though. Well, is this an inclusive or an exclusive truth claim? Is it exclusive? Is Jesus the only way to truth? Or is it inclusive? Is Jesus inviting all people to know of his truth? We live in a radically inclusive city for all things it feels like at times except Christianity, right? You want to raise your kids and take them to the Buddhist school or the Jewish school, that's enlightening. And you want to raise your kids from a Christian perspective. Oftentimes in Seattle, you're made to think maybe that's less, that's less good than some other perspective. We have this coexist bumper sticker that has to be the number one bumper sticker around Seattle. And yet the truth claim here from Jesus is that he is the truth. He is the way. And it's, it's like, well, which is it? Is it inclusive or exclusive? Jesus says, I am the only truth to get people to the Father. It's an exclusive truth claim. And though people can try to go to other sources of truth, there's, is there other divine truths in different parts of the world? There sure is. But Jesus is saying that the only way to know the truth of God is through him. It's exclusive. It's exclusive. And yet, hear me very carefully, church. We are meant to be, as his people, radically inclusive because none of us know who in the world is in and who in the world is out. We are meant to invite everyone and let God himself sit on the judgment seat because if the truth is really the truth, wouldn't we want everyone to know about it? And so it's inclusive in that the invitation goes to everyone and it's exclusive that the only way to know the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. And we don't have to worry about it. We can live in such a way the truth can change us. People say, I want to talk about Syria this morning and, and that's great. I want to talk about Egypt. I want to talk about America. I want to talk about these issues. But until we talk about the truth changing us from the inside out, our witness has been compromised. 
The truth that we know needs to be the Lord of our lives. And from that place of us sitting under Christ's lordship, then we can talk about other issues. We care about the issues tremendously. But the number one issue that Jesus says here is, be about my truth first, foremost. And let that change your life. Listen to what 1 Peter 2.12 says, live such good lives among pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And so let them see truth in you. Let you be a person with the exclusive truth claim and let Jesus worry about the inclusive nature of the gospel. Because when we stand at the door and we put a line out and say who gets in and who gets out of the church, guess what? We've lost because none of us enter in. It's an exclusive truth claim and we are all sinners saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And may we hope that that inclusive invitation changes our city There are days in which I think about and romanticize the next career that I have. Someone said to me recently, well, you're not going anywhere. And I said, how can I? Because God asked me to be here and to believe that the church still radically matters in this city as we preach Jesus Christ. And everything else comes secondary to that. It's exclusive. And we have to be inclusive in who we're inviting to be transformed by the exclusive truth of Jesus Christ. We don't need to sit on the judgment seat. Here's what Bonhoeffer said in Cost of Discipleship. Judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. You want the truth? Dig into your own life and be transformed by the gospel. And worry about other people, sure, but first make sure that you have Jesus living inside of you. And that that truth governs your day-to-day decisions. That the truth of Jesus Christ is transforming you. You say, well, you know, I just don't want to have doubt. I don't want to let God down. And you look at doubt in this passage, there are three questions by Peter, and then by Thomas, and then by Philip. And each junction, Jesus answers the doubt with more truth. So don't be scared of the doubt. Be scared of the disengagement. Be scared of getting a callous heart. Get scared about reading about Egyptians killed on their way to worship Christ on Palm Sunday and not having your guts torn open. What do we need to worry about? That we've become a bit benign to the way and the truth and the life of Jesus Christ inside of us. That's what we need to worry about. We don't need to judge others. Christ will do that. And we can live with the doubt and we can take those doubts to Christ himself because every single time someone doubts, Jesus answers it with a truth claim. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. There's much criticism about doubting Thomas. I think he's one of the few honest men around this table. And when he's honest, Jesus comes to him with the truth. Don't be scared of the question Go to Jesus and say, I'm struggling with my doubts. Because Jesus longs to meet your doubt with his truth. Because the doubt is real and here it opens the door for faith's biggest proclamation. We need to be people telling the truth more. Recently, Bethany had a speaker come and speak to our staff, Skip Lee, the founder of Agros. And in his presentation to our staff, one of his, he kind of presented some of his life rules. And one of his life rules was, we need to tell the truth. 
As an example, he lifted up a research study done on the 1986 NASA Challenger space shuttle disaster. You remember the disaster in 1986? I remember I was in a classroom. Space shuttle going up today. We watched a bunch of stunned little boys and girls as the shuttle got 15 seconds into the air and then, and then vanished in an explosion. And astronauts died. And as, as they studied what went wrong, what was the big, who failed? They wanted somebody to lay on the chopping block. Who failed? And you know what they found out at NASA? It wasn't a single person's single catastrophic uh, uh, mistake. It was thousands of small errancies, a deviation from the truth. Uh, the, the sociologist, a gal named Diane Vaughn, she said there was a normalization of deviance. And, and this normalization of deviance posits that disasters cannot always be blamed on the single catastrophic decision, but rather because people inside organizations and institutions and churches and schools and businesses and families start to make numerous small decisions that stealthily change their concept of normality. In the case of the Challenger story, the researcher discovered that in the months before the shuttle crash, mid-level engineers had repeatedly breached safety guidelines in tiny ways. No alarm was sounded, partly because these breaches seemed so very small. But because the engineering team kept getting away with the breaches, the slippages started to seem normal. Or to put it another way, the engineer's definition of what was acceptable quietly changed as standards slipped. Until the Challenger crashed, and rip their complacency apart. Sometimes a small crack can dramatically widen when people least expect it. And cause a structure to collapse. Marriages. Families. Us living as Christians in the workplace. Us living as Christians in our singleness. Small cracks become big destructive forces. And so Skip Lee to our whole staff gathered this week. He said, we got to tell the truth. We got to tell the truth. Very convicting as we approach tax season, right? We got we to tell the truth. He, he has a whole staff of lawyers and he tells them, always tell the truth. The truth is required in the law and if, if they lie, they'll be disbarred. The truth must be black and white. Don't be disbarred from your life. Tell the truth. As Jesus' followers, is the truth of, of Christ living inside of us, is it changing us? Is it making us more like him in each and every decision that we face? And when we fail, because we will fail, do we know how to get back on the forgiveness of Christ? And so I want more of your truth. I want more of the vertical connection. This is the uh, big call in us to be people of the truth. As my Bible teacher taught at school, he said, it's not true that all roads lead to the top of the mountain. There are roads which lead right over the precipice. And we see this a lot at our work at the junction. We see freedom that's distorted and becomes addiction and life's destroyed. We saw years ago people advocating pornography to spice up stale marriage relationship and now pornography, huge health epidemics labeled in, in many states. No, liberality doesn't lead towards freedom. Some things just can destroy us. And so we must be militant in our pursuit of truth in our life. Not judging the outsider as much as judging our own hearts. Today, Jesus, be my truth. And help me live my life under your lordship. Lord of my money, Lord of my sexuality, Lord of my friendship, Lord of my time. Change me from the inside out. Are we willing to have the truth of Christ change us?
and help other people in our culture. We need to recover the Christian voice of truth. And Christ is the ultimate truth. Inclusive for all. He wants everyone to know him. And exclusive that there's one way to the Father here. It's through Christ. I used to be a high school English teacher. And every spring we'd hit that time where the junior seniors were just done. Just checked out. And it was during that time I would always choose to teach this great text, Catcher in the Rye. And in the catch in the rye, we had this young, disinterested, angry, almost violent teenager looking for purpose. I'll tell you this, friends, because most of the time when we're looking for a plan in our life, we're really just hoping for purpose. Because if we know we have purpose, we can put up with a plan that can feel a little bit out of whack. We need a purpose. And so in this story, Catcher in the Rye, the, the narrator is looking for purpose in his life, and he finds it in his relationship with his sibling, his, his little sister. He knows that his life matters because he can make an impact in another person's life. And I can't explain exactly why, but I can tell you that that story resonated for me so deeply because when I knew that my life mattered to other people not going off the cliff, I knew I had purpose. And so this is a painting called Catcher in the Rye by an artist on the East Coast by David White telling the parable of Catcher in the Rye. I want to be the Catcher in the Rye. As kids are going off the edges, the catcher in the rye is running around and trying to tell people the truth and save their soul. And one of my biggest hopes for this church is that we would have that kind of passion for our neighbors and the kids growing up in this church and the kids that go to this high school and the, the teachers in our community, that we would feel like catchers in the rye. That because of the truth of Christ, we would care deeply that other people experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Because he, and we'll tra transition to our last point, he is the life. He's the life. He's the life that all of us need and crave. Look at verse 9b, going to the end of 14. Anyone who has seen me, seen the Father. How can you say, says Jesus, show us the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? Like, I'm, I'm the life that you're craving right in front of you. I'm here. He continues, the words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves, because the works matter. How we live testifies to what we believe in. He says, the works matter. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they'll do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus uses not the, the word for life, uh, organic life that passes away, which is bios. No, he uses this word zoe, real life, the real transforming energy of life, the life we crave for. It's right here in our midst. Jesus is saying, if you, if you trust me and you love me, you'll have real life. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Or as Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came to have life, that you would have life and have it abundantly. We all crave for the good life. The good life. Healthy relationships and you know, that, that annual trip to Hawaii that everyone else on social media seems to be having. And, you know, enough money in our bank account. And, I mean, we, we want it. We're not bad for wanting. It's a good life. But the life here that Christ talks about is forged after his death. 
And friends, it's my firm belief that we won't understand the life for which we were created until we open up our hands and let Christ's death matter to us and live in us that we might experience his life more fully and more deeply. Because the life we all want is forged through Christ's death and resurrection power. And so the richest, most loving people I know, they're people that have been scarred a little bit. Because they know that life isn't always perfect, but life is good. And Christ can be trusted. I do premarital work, and I'm sitting, I feel like Debbie Downer. I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm telling people, okay, you've booked your photographer. Yes, you've hired the baker. We have. And then I'm like, you know, let's talk about your, your, your marriage more than the wedding. Things will get hard. And they're like, I know. We had an argument yesterday about our latte. I'm like, no, no, you don't get it. It's going to get really hard because marriage is hard and life is hard, but it's good. And you've hired your baker and your photographer, but you know what your next item on your agenda is? Go down to the hospital and see people in hospice cares that are loving each other to the very end. Because the Zoe life that we want is this open-handed life, understanding that life can be challenging, but Christ will always be good to us and good through us. It's amazing. Look what he says here, that through me you'll do greater things. You'll do greater things. They'll do even greater things than these. My Bible teacher in school, Dale Bruner, he said this might be the one place of scriptures, he says this tongue-in-cheek, where Jesus is wrong. Right? Because it's like, what? How can, he do, how can we do greater things than Jesus Christ? Well, it's the story of Christ in the church, growing the church. How 120-some-odd believers end up taking this religion to the ends of the earth. Because life won't always be easy, but it will be good. And when we open up our hands and trust that in the ups and downs of life, that Jesus may not give us the perfect plan, but he is the path to take the way. And he is the truth, the exclusive truth that's meant to be inclusive in our lives. And he's the life that's encouraging all of us to live differently. We were out for a couple days, spring break, went out to Orcas Island my kids want to ride bikes to town. Ride bikes to town, they said. It'll be fun. It's four miles, and you leave the place we were staying, and it's like a 45-degree hill for about a mile. And we, we're like walking the bikes, and the kids are breaking down, and, you know, there's tears. And, you know, and I said, you wanted to take this road. And they're like, yeah, we didn't know it's going to be so hard. I just wish the road would be straight. And that's where I get to play the dad card. Life isn't always easy, kids, you know. <laughs> We kept gone. We kept, go- we kept going. We get to the top of the road. Now it's about three miles left. And now there's some ups and there's some downs and there's some vistas and there's some views and, and there's some wind in our face and we're starting to travel. I've got my oldest child and then my youngest and, and then the next most responsible and I'm in back and we're traveling down the road and then now you can hear laughter and joy. And we get about two miles from town. Are we there? We're halfway there. And then about, we're about one mile to town. I'm like, do you want to turn back? No way, they said. We've come too far. We get to town in the sense of joy and accomplishment. Like, we did it. And my, my son said, I, you know, it was easier than I thought it was going to be. You know what they didn't know? Like, I was riding in back. And every car that would come, because it's a little bit of a treacherous road, I would pull my own bike out into the lane. And I'd tell them to slow down. And I'd tell them how many kids are up further. And I'd tell them to slow down again. And I made absolutely sure that nobody was going to go too close or too fast to them. Because we do not walk alone. And the way is good. 
And the truth longs to live in us and give us the life that only Jesus can live us, can give us and live through us. That we might be people of invitation and hope, worried less, hopeful more, because Christ is calling us to a radical belief. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning and the reminder that the road we take is the one that you've already traveled. It's the road you traveled to the cross to give up your life on our behalf and bring us this invitation into eternal places and a divine invitation into friendship with you, Lord, and into intimacy. And Jesus, we just pray that we would continue to be formed as men and women trying to follow you. We're imperfect people following a perfect God. Of course, it's going to be messy. But would you give us the path to take even when the plans can be obscure? And give us the belief that your truth is radically still true in our lives. And let that be our true north. And Father, may the life that you give to us be so much richer than anything else that we try to pursue here on earth. May we be disciples coming fully alive in you the way, the truth, and the life. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with us as we close in song? As always, I want to remind you there's prayer people down front. If you're just nursing an injury or a hope that you would like to pray over, let me just, as you quietly respond in your seat, this way, this truth, this life, it's for you. Let's respond together.